Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Uh, a few years ago, it was about 15 years ago, actually, I got to do uh, this really, really fun thing, kind of a, a dream, uh, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I got to hike the Grand Canyon with a friend of mine, and we hiked from the North Rim all the way down to the bottom and then to the South Rim, and we did it in about 24 hours. It was kind of a like crazy trip. There were all these other circumstances, but we got to the North Rim on the day that it opened. Um, it, it closes for a lot of the year, and uh, they open it in May, and so we got there on the day that it opened. There was still snow on the ground. It was super cold. When we got down in the canyon, it was well over 100 degrees. It was like this crazy temperature swing, and so we, we hiked down. We ate dinner at Phantom Ranch, which is down at the very bottom of the canyon, and then we started our hike out, and we were out the next morning, so all in about 24 hours. Now, I had been to the Grand Canyon before as a kid, and like I did what probably most of you had done, I stood at one of the edges at the rim and kind of looked down at the canyon, right? We've, we've done that. Even if you haven't been there, more than likely you've seen it in a picture and you've seen this huge expanse. It's beautiful. It's just, there, there's so much happening. It's hard to take it all in. And when I was there as a kid, I kind of imagined what it would be like to be in the canyon. I imagined, oh my goodness, could you imagine being down in there and seeing what that would be like? Well, I had that opportunity and on the hike, I, you would think, oh my goodness, I bet you took in some of the most amazing sights. And I did. It was beautiful and I loved it. The problem was for much of the hike, this is what I was doing. I was looking at my feet as I was walking. Like over and over, I caught myself staring down at my feet because it's a really steep grade and it's like got all of these switchbacks and there's little pebbles and things and I wanted to make sure I didn't fall or slide because that seems like that could be really detrimental to your health, right, at the Grand Canyon. You don't want to fall, you don't want to slide. So I was so focused on my feet. I just kept looking down over and over. And throughout the hike, I would have to remind myself, look up, look at the canyon, look at the, the walls, look at the, the trees that are growing, look at all of the things that are happening, look up at the sky from down here and see what it's like. And you would think that that would have been easy to maintain my focus up there. No, every few minutes, I'd be back down to looking at my feet. I'd just start staring right at the trail that was in front of me. And I'd have to remember to look up, look up. Now, it didn't get any better in the middle of the night because we, me and my buddy, we hiked uh, for most of the night. We stopped and, and slept for like two hours. But while we were hiking at night, we had headlamps on and they would shine kind of right out in front of us, just a little area of light. And so we're hiking along, hiking along, hiking along. And at one point I saw the biggest scorpion come across my path right there. And I did what probably most of y'all would do in here. Like I freaked out. I like jumped back. I, uh, I got really, really scared. And you know the only thing worse than seeing a scorpion 
is knowing that there's one there and then not being able to find it again. That was terrible. I was like, where is this thing? I knew it was on my pack, just ready to like sting me at any moment's notice. I just, I was so nervous about it. So the rest of the hike, now I was constantly scanning to make sure there were no other scorpions. There wasn't like a whole herd of them that were coming out. What is, what do you call a herd of scorpions? I don't know. Somebody looked that up, not during the sermon, but later. Uh, I, yeah, tell me what it is. So I knew there were more, so I was looking down. I, my focus was never where it should be. If you're in the Grand Canyon, you ought to look up, right? If you're hiking in the Grand Canyon in the middle of the night, you ought to look up and see the stars. That's what I should have been doing. But my focus was always down here. It was always kind of right out in front of me. I wish I could say that was just a feature of hiking the Grand Canyon, but I find that happens in other areas of life for me as well. That there are times where my focus ought to be another place, that I ought to be looking at something else, that I ought to be concentrating on something else, and yet my focus will drift to where I don't want it to be, and that will happen over and over and over again. Over the last few weeks, we've been thinking about discernment and how we can hear God's voice because for many of us, we wake up in the morning and we desire to hear God's voice. We would love for God to speak to us today, and yet for one reason or another, it seems like we constantly miss God's voice. And today is a reminder that one of the reasons we might miss God's voice is perhaps our focus is drifting to the wrong things. Perhaps we're not concentrating on the right things of our life, and today is a reminder that we need to look up. A few weeks ago, we looked at the story of Elijah and remembered that if we want to miss God's voice, one of the ways that we can do that is to listen for the wrong things. Elijah was sure that he needed to go to this certain place and that God was going to speak in the exact same ways that he had done before, but it was actually in the silence that Elijah hears God. And that's a reminder for us that God can speak anytime, anywhere, and so we should always be ready and receptive to God's voice. Then we looked at the temptations that Jesus faced early in his ministry and remembered that if we listen to the wrong voice, we most certainly will miss out on God's voice. Each of the temptations were were unique, and, and some of them even included scripture, but all of them were the same in that they were trying to turn Jesus's attention away from doing what God had called him to do instead to focusing on his own personal satisfaction or glory. And if we listen to the wrong voice, that voice that tempts us to focus on our own needs rather than what God has called us to do, we will surely miss out on God's voice. Today, we are going to meet a group of people who missed God's voice, and Jesus is about to let them know. Now, if you've grown up in church, if you've read the New Testament, you have seen this group of people named before, the, the Pharisees. Um, and, and you're pretty trained probably to, uh, to know that the Pharisees are most often the bad guys in the New Testament, right? Because you have Jesus, who's the good guy, and he's squaring off against the Pharisees, and they're asking questions, and they're kind of sparring, and, and the, Jesus is the good guy. The Pharisees are the bad guy. And so anytime we see them mentioned, the scribes, the Pharisees, uh, we, we have have these people, we probably immediately think, oh, the, like, I'd never want to be like those people. They're, they're the bad guys. And certainly Jesus has some strong words for them. But what we need to remember is that in Jesus's time, the Pharisees would have been thought of as the religious elite. 
Like if you were going to pick somebody, some group of people that you were sure they were listening to God's voice, that they heard God's voice, you would have picked the Pharisees first and the second choice, you wouldn't have even had to think about it. You would have been sure, of course the Pharisees hear God's voice. Because when you looked at their life, you would have been sure that, that they were doing what God wanted them to do because they had all the symptoms of somebody who was listening to God's voice. But what Jesus reveals throughout the New Testament is while they might have had those external characteristics, there was no internal commitment to match that. And Jesus was frequently pointing this out in their life, that so often the Pharisees were focused on all of the wrong things. They were focused on these external things when there was a commitment issue, there was a heart issue at stake. And that's no different than the verses we're going to read today. But they are a reminder to all of us that it is possible to appear like someone who hears God's voice and yet miss it entirely. We can have all of the external characteristics and yet not have that real internal commitment. So I'm going to look at these two verses with you. If you have your Bible, I'd ask you if you could turn to Matthew 23, and then we're going to stand together in honor of the reading of God's Word, as they have done for generations and generations. But if you'll stand with me, I'm just going to read these two verses in Matthew chapter 23, starting in verse 23. This is what Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat Jesus in this section, this, this whole chapter actually, he's giving some warnings to the scribes, to the Pharisees, but this one in particular, there's so much happening right here in these short verses. Jesus is calling on a number of statutes and things from the Old Testament law that all of them would have been familiar with. In fact, most of the people who were listening to Jesus teach that day and provide these warnings, they would have been very familiar with the Old Testament references that he's making in this situation. Now, you don't have the book of Deuteronomy memorized, do you? Does anybody in here? That'd be quite a thing. I'd, I'd like have a prize for you if you did. Like, I don't have the book of Deuteronomy memorized, but they more than likely would have known it almost cover to cover. They would have been familiar with it, even if they didn't know every single word. They would have heard all of the things that Jesus is unpacking or, or is packed into here. But for us, like, this seems so foreign and so strange. What is Jesus talking about? Like, you tithe mint and dill and cumin? Is that what you're supposed to do at church? Because I've been bringing money and put it in the offering plate. I didn't know I just was supposed to bring spices. This is the best giving sermon ever. I'm just going to go to my garden and I'm done. I, who needs that money stuff? I am done with that. No, Jesus is referencing some really important statutes that would have been common for them, but are a little unfamiliar to us today. And he begins by talking about you tithe all of your mint and your dill and your cumin. Now, that's pretty odd and strange. But this goes back to the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 14. The people of Israel were commanded, and it says, You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. 
One of their important commandments, one of the important parts of the law was that everything that they would grow, that they were to set aside a part of what they grew, what the fields produced for them. And they called that the tithe. Um, So it says, you shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. Not that you just section off and like, well, this one little bit. No, the commandment was everything that you grow, you should set aside a portion of that, and that is going to be your tithe. Now, this tithe had both a function, it had a purpose, but there was also a lesson embedded in calling the people to tithe. The function was that it provided for some people in the nation. It provided for some people uh, who are part of the Israelites. One of the groups that it provided for were the Levites or the priests. In the book of Numbers, the law says, to the Levites, I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for the service that they do, their service in the tent of meeting. So the way that Israel was organized, there, there were these tribes and, and so kind of these family clans, but one of them, the Levites, were set aside and they didn't have family land. No, instead the Levites were scattered throughout all of the land and they were the priests. They were the ones who would do the holy work on behalf of the people. And because they didn't have land, because they couldn't own anything, they, they didn't have crops, they couldn't grow things, what God did was he designed their, uh, their community, their cities, their, their nation, so that everyone would help to provide for the priests. And the priests were the ones who would receive this tithe. So by setting aside part of your fields, what you were doing was providing for those who couldn't actually go out and grow crops. God said it's important that we have priests that are doing the work in the tent of meeting, doing the work in the temple, doing the work in the synagogue. They need to do that work, which means they can't go out and farm. So all of you that can grow food, I want you to set aside part of what you grow and we'll put that aside for the priests. And the priests have the tithe as their inheritance. Now, it wasn't just that you would take it, though, and give it to the priests, and that was the end of it. No, in fact, it says in Deuteronomy that you shall eat all of these tithes, everything that your field produces, you shall eat them before the Lord your God in the place that the Lord your God will choose, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, and the Levite who is within your towns. See, the idea was that you would take your crops, you would take whatever it is that your fields produce, and then you would enjoy those things together with your family, with the Levites, with the entire community. So the tithe served a function. It provided for the Levites. They didn't have a way of growing food, and so you were helping to provide for them, but the tithe also helped to bring the community together. And it didn't just provide for the Levites, Uh, In Deuteronomy chapter 14, it says uh, that not only the Levites, but the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow who are within your towns, all of them shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. I mean, picture this kind of society where you have people who are able to actually go and produce, that they have their land. God had set aside land for them, and then they could take that land, they could cultivate their crops, they could grow things, and then they were called to set aside a portion of them to provide for the people who couldn't. 
Those people who were fatherless, widows, those whose lives had just kind of led them to some circumstance where they were wandering or sojourning, you needed to set aside some portion for them. And then together, as a community, you would all enjoy what the land produced. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? The tithe wasn't just some form of taxation. No, it was providing for those who couldn't provide, but it was also a way that the community was brought together, that they got to enjoy everything that the land produced, which leads us to the lesson, why the tithe, why God called on the people to tithe. In Deuteronomy 14, it says this, you shall tithe, you shall do all of these things that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. That's the point of the tithe. You see, the tithe was one more way that the people were going to learn to fear, to revere, to respect, to know that it is God who provides for them always. I mean, think about your garden at home or, or if you have any like livestock that you've ever raised. That, that garden at home, you may be the one who took the seed and put it in the soil. And you might be the one who cultivated the soil and arranged it just so. And you may be the one who puts water on it day after day after day. But who is it who actually makes life spring forth from that seed? Where does life come from? Of course, it comes from God. We might be able to create the circumstances for it to grow, but that life comes from God. It is a gift. So even in the small act of planting, we can remember that God is the giver of life, that life is a gift. If you've raised livestock, who is it who keeps the hearts beating in each of the animals? Is that you know, you, you provide the food, you provide the circumstances for them to live, but who is it who provides that life? That is a gift from God. By setting aside a part of that and providing for others, it was a way to remember that everything began with God. Everything that we have is from God. Everything is a gift. And so, of course, I want to be generous. Of course, I want to share with others. Why wouldn't I want to do that? Of course, I would do that. The tithe had a function. It provided for those that couldn't provide for themselves. But there's a lesson within it to remember that all of life is a gift. But the Pharisees had gone a step further. The Pharisees had been diligent and over-scrupulous. The command, if we look back in Deuteronomy, the command is about providing for crops, providing for livestock for the Levites who couldn't provide for themselves. So if you're growing corn, then you need to set aside some corn for the Levites. If you're growing wheat, you need to set aside some wheat for the Levites. If you were growing gusher fruit snacks trees, do those exist? Are those a thing? I assume those are all natural. Probably not. I guess gushers are not natural. But if there were, you would set aside some of those gushers for the Levites. That's what God is saying. You would set aside some of those things to provide for the Levites, but the Pharisees had taken it to the most extreme measure. And they weren't just setting aside crops. They were even weighing out their spices they were even counting out the leaves of mint. They were counting out the bit of cumin that they had. Could you imagine having to do that? If we said next week, I want everybody to bring a tenth of all of your spices, or that every time you went to HEB and you bought a new like jar of chili powder, and then you got home and realized, oh, we already have three. I just couldn't find it earlier. Does that happen to anybody? Just my family, I guess. But you get the chili powder home, and it's like, oh, I've got to weigh out a tenth 
of this chili powder. That is painstaking work, right? That is focusing on these small, tiny things, mint and dill and cumin. Jesus says, these Pharisees, you guys, you have focused on these small things, but look at what it says there in verse 23. But you have neglected the weightier matters of the law. You have neglected the weightier, the more important things. Jesus says, you've done these things, these small things, the painstaking detail of counting out dill leaves to make sure you were in compliance with the law. But in doing that, you have forgotten about some of the more important things, the weightier portions of the law. And he names three of them. First one he says is justice. Justice is a huge topic. We could spend weeks talking about it. But justice in the Bible is both punishing wrong and also restoring those who have been the victims of wrongdoing. Justice is punishing wrong, but also restoring those who have been the victims of injustice or wrongdoing. And this is a frequent theme throughout the Old Testament. Exodus says, do not deny justice to your poor people in their lawsuits. Proverbs says, it is not good to be partial to the wicked or to deprive the innocent of justice. Jeremiah says, thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness. Justice is a frequent theme throughout the Old Testament. It is frequently mentioned that the people were to be about a life that, that eradicated wrongdoing and restored those who were the victims of wrongdoing. Jesus says another of these weightier matters is mercy. Mercy is concern for others. It's when you don't receive what it is that you deserve. And of course, mercy is, is central to God's interactions with the Israelites. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, he's telling them that none of these foreign things should be found in your hands. So the Lord will turn from his fierce anger and he will show you mercy. Throughout the Exodus story, that's what we see from God, is that God shows mercy. Even when they had, the Israelites didn't deserve it, God turned from his anger and he forgave them. They didn't receive what it is that they deserve. And God tells the people through his prophet Hosea that he desires mercy and not sacrifice. This concern for others, the willingness to overlook, to not always have to, to give others what they deserve, but instead to give them forgiveness and grace. Mercy is one of those weightier matters of the law. And Jesus also names faithfulness, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Faithfulness is an active trust. It's, it's more than just believing a set of ideas. It's putting those beliefs into practice. Like, I believe some things. Like, I believe that it's better to limit carbs, right? Like, I believe that. I think that's probably true. And I think it's better to eat, like, vegetables primarily and super clean. I believe all of those things to be true. I don't actively participate in that kind of lifestyle, though. Like, when there's a pizza in front of me, I go the other direction. You see, the belief is not what would actually help help me see the benefits. It's when, if I take those beliefs and put them into practice, when I actually choose to eat that way, when I put the beliefs into practice, that's what faithfulness is about. When we demonstrate our trust in God, when we believe that he can actually be trusted, that's what faithfulness is. 
And Jesus says, these are weightier matters. These are more important things. And Pharisees, you've been so focused on things like weighing out your mint and your dill and your cumin that you have neglected, you have forgotten the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. You see, the woe here, the warning that Jesus provides for them is that the Pharisees had missed the bigger picture. Personal morality had become their focus, but Jesus says there are actually more important or weightier things that they should be focused on. And he's careful to say, it's not that tithing is wrong. It's not that that they shouldn't have been tithing. They should have just focused on the more important things first, because some things should be first. First things come first. And Jesus says you should have begun with justice and mercy and faithfulness, but instead your focus has been on weighing out your spices. You see, friends, when we get things out of order, when our focus drifts, we can actually be drawn away from God and miss God's voice. But Jesus doesn't stop there. And in verse 24, he calls them, you blind guides. It's like, Jesus, will you just tell us what you really think? I hate when you're coy and subtle. Like, what do you really think of these guys? You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Now, this is such fun wordplay that Jesus is doing here. Straining out a gnat, this tiny thing, but swallowing a camel, one of the largest animals that they would have known. But it's not just like wordplay or some comparison You see, again, this goes back to the Old Testament law that the Pharisees would have known backwards and forwards. You don't like swallowing bugs, right? I think we have a technical term for what happens when we swallow a bug or what we would call that. Uh, The technical term is that's gross, right? Like we don't like that at all. It's gross to swallow a bug. Well, that's because we're humans and of course the Pharisees would have agreed with that. That's pretty gross. But they had a bigger word for what that meant if they were to accidentally swallow even a tiny gnat and that is unclean. The law said that all of the winged insects are unclean for you and they shall not be eaten. Not that that's a great temptation, but this can happen accidentally. What happens if something falls in what it is you're eating or falls into what it is you're drinking? Well, the law tells you what to do in that instance. In Leviticus, it says, anything on which any of them falls when they are dead shall be unclean. Whether it's an article of wood or a garment or a skin or a sack, anything is unclean. And what it means to be unclean is that you couldn't participate in worship or that thing, that item had to be set aside because if something was unclean, it could not come into the Lord's presence. And so if you accidentally swallowed a bug, even a small gnat, you were now unclean and couldn't be in the Lord's presence. The law even tells you what you're supposed to do with dishes that like if a dead bug was to fall in them. And just if you, you've been camping before, right? And if you've been camping, certainly some fly has fallen in whatever it is that you're cooking. And if you're the one at the stove, you just put that part in the stuff you're going to give your uncle who you didn't really like anyway. And you just kind of move it over to the side. No, in their times, it's a little more serious. Uh, It says that if any of them falls into any earthenware vessel All that is in it shall be unclean, and you shall break it. 
It's like if you were at home and you were making queso and all of a sudden a gnat falls in your crock pot, you know what you'd have to do? Not only toss out the queso, but you'd have to break the crock pot. That's how serious this is. You could not have a gnat fall in your food or in your drink. And so the Pharisees had devised all these ways of putting like protective measures and covers over their cups. They had these screens that would filter things out because they didn't want to accidentally swallow a gnat. And if they did that, they would be unclean and out of fellowship for a while. But Jesus says, you're straining out this gnat, but you're actually swallowing a camel. You know what the Old Testament law says about camels? It says that you should not eat them because they are also unclean. So don't have any temptation to eat a camel. Don't do that. Camels are unclean. Jesus is saying to them, guys, you're so worried about the gnat. Like you're working hard. You are straining out a gnat. You come up with systems and processes. You are worried about this tiny little thing. But in focusing on that, You are straining out the gnat, but actually swallowing the camel. And the end result is you are just as unclean. You have missed the point. Your focus has drifted. You are looking at the wrong things. You're straining out gnats, but swallowing camels. You're counting spices, and yet you are forgetting about the weightier matters of the law. See, friends, if we want to miss God's voice, all we have to do is let our focus drift elsewhere. All we have to do is concentrate on the wrong things. And it doesn't matter how much energy you spend doing the wrong things. It doesn't matter how sincere you are. If you are doing the wrong things, if your focus is on the wrong things, if you are concentrating on the wrong things, you are going to miss God's voice. No matter how hard you work at it, the Pharisees were diligent, and yet they missed God's voice. And the same can be true of us. When our concentration goes to the wrong things, we will miss God's voice. So the question maybe should be on our minds, what what does God require of us? How could we ensure that we hear his voice? How can we, we remember to look up where should our focus be? Well, he tells us through his prophet Micah, it says this, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. To do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. You see, those are the things Jesus is talking about, right? He says, you've neglected these weightier matters. You ought to be people who pursue justice, who try and eradicate wrongdoing and restore those who have been the victims of injustice. We ought to be people of mercy and kindness and compassion, and we ought to walk humbly. That is, we ought to experience God's faithfulness. We ought to actively trust him with every moment of every day of our lives. But if three things is too complicated, then maybe we can remember what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 22. He tells us that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love others. Friends, our focus can probably drift to a lot of different things. It can focus on all sorts of small details. And what Jesus would say is we ought to remember the weightier matters. 
We ought to remember the bigger concerns, that we ought to fix our attention on these big, important pillars of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to love God, to every day pursue him in worship, that that our affection would be directed towards him. No matter if our circumstances are good or bad, no, every single day we should wake up with worship on our hearts, that we ought to love God. And with the same passion and enthusiasm, we ought to love other people. Not just the people who it's easy to love, not just the ones whom we agree with, not just the ones who see the world the way that we do. No, we ought to practice mercy and grace and compassion and forgiveness to everyone. We ought to treat them the way that we would want to be treated. Don't you want the benefit of the doubt in a situation? Don't you want people to assume the best about you? Well, that's how you should treat others. You should treat them with the same love that you want other people to treat you. And if you'll begin with those two priorities, if you'll begin with the priorities of loving God and loving others, those other details will begin to come into focus.